Listen, you smell something? Human emotions are materializing in the form of a viscous psychoreactive plasm with explosive supernormal potential. What a discovery, a psychoreactive substance. Do you know what this equipment is used for? Boggle or Super Mario Brothers? We'll have fun! Yeah! They're still doing a really quite good work there. My friend, don't be a jerk. We've got no choice. Call a Ghostbusters. Super Jackpot! Welcome to Extraplasm Podcast. It's the only podcast on the internet that packs a microphone in its carry-on bag for the sole purpose of discussing ghosts and ghostbusting when flying cross-country to visit family. I'm your host, Jim Meritato, a.k.a. Vink Maniac from the internet, and I'm coming to you this week from the great white northeast of the United States as I visit my parents in New England. So things may sound a little different than usual, and you might hear a few background noises from people who are not usually around, because I'm not at my proverbial firehouse, and I'm not with my primary ecto-microphonal unit, and instead I'm on the road and using Ecto-Mic 1 to bring you a bit of Ghostbusters headlines along with a conversation that I had with James Green Jr. Uh, before I was leaving town from California. So. If you're not familiar with who James is, James is the author of the book A Convenient Parallel Dimension, How Ghostbusters Slimed Us Forever. And the book has been out on the market since November, and I have been trying to schedule an interview with James for quite some time, but our schedules didn't really align. So I was excited to finally be able to chat with him and really stoked to be able to share that conversation with you. If you haven't seen the book already, the book came out in November, as I said, and it's a well-researched synthesis of Ghostbusters history, starting with the first film in 1984 and ending with the release of Ghostbusters Afterlife. And it's about 250 pages of things you may have known about before as a deep Ghostbusters fans who listens to a podcast like this one. Um, but uh, it's also a book that puts those things into context with interviews and research news articles from the time period when things were happening and a lot of other publicly available information, including some of it from like GB fans and Spook Central and um, even Yes Have Some podcasts. So um, that's a book that's out there. It's something to check out. And we have a conversation this week with James, which is great. Uh, the book is out in print and ebook formats, and I want to let you know as podcast listeners that it's available in audio format too. So while you can certainly get it from Google Play or the Apple Music Store for full price, one suggestion I want to give to you as listeners is that you can get it really affordably by starting a trial of the Barnes & Noble's audiobook service and then use your free credit for the month to download the audiobook. I bet a bunch of you thought I was going to drop something in there by saying like, and use the promo code Extraplasm, but I'm not that cool or that big or famous, believe me. Uh, I'm just telling you that you can find the book on Barnes and Noble's Nook audiobook service because it's one of the ways that I interacted with the book uh, before James and I had the interview. But it's a way to easily get access to the book while supporting the author by purchasing with the purchasing it with a credit. And it's about 11 hours of Ghostbusters audio content to supplement this fantastic podcast. Our friends at Yes Have Some podcast. Um, a variety of other podcasts out there. So if I don't mention yours, don't take it personally. Uh, but this, there's 11 hours of content that you can get access to to plug in your ears as a Ghostbusters fan who likes to listen to stuff about Ghostbusters. If for no other reason to go out and get the book in audio format, like do it for that reason, uh, because it's it's really enjoyable to listen to. It's read by a professional uh audiobook reader and is well delivered. So I strongly encourage that if you're not into tip typically going through 250 pages of dead tree, uh, you can certainly download it and put in your ears just like you do this podcast. But I was really excited to talk with James to find out a bit more about the process of putting the book together. Um, I don't want to spoil too much about what's in it to keep the book fresh. And I, we did not try to in the interview. So we kind of touch on some of the topics that are in the book that might even 
whet your appetite if you're listening and you haven't read, but I you know want to leave it out there that you should totally check out the book. Don't like just go listen to the interview and be like, eh, sounds good or not. It's like easily, easily accessible for everybody who wants to check it out. Um, and something that I think is worthwhile to check out because there's a lot of things in it that I knew already, but there were a lot of things in it that I didn't know and more that added sort of like color or texture sort of context to things I'd known as little factoids before. So if you're a huge Ghostbusters fan and chances are you're listening to this, you probably like Ghostbusters. Um, if you don't like Ghostbusters and you listen to this, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Uh, but if you're a fan of Ghostbusters, I would definitely check out James's book and stick around after our headline section this week for, uh, you know, discussion with James. So beyond that, just I wanted to give you all a couple of programming notes. Like I said, we're outside of the normal, typical studio. So if you hear some weird sounds, uh, before we get into our interview with James, that might be why. Please, you know, acknowledge that. Sorry, uh, but we're doing our best here when we're on the road. I will be back in California uh, next week, so we should be back to our normal places and spaces and times and things uh, coming out of the holiday season. And uh, for most of us, we ended the holiday season already, but you know, some of us we we were teachers, and we want to make sure we get every single ounce of that. <laughs> and to be frank, I had not seen my family. And uh, since before COVID started, so I hadn't seen my brother, my sister, my my mom, my dad, anybody uh, since before the pandemic began. So this was like my one shot to be able to come across the uh, country and do that and see my folks. I've had a lot of good experiences so far. I actually found a container of bath slime in my parents' bathroom, which is hilarious to me. It was pink. I kid you not. And it's made by Crayola. And I've suggested that perhaps like in, in canon universe, they could do this, that the rationale of where Venkman went and why he became uh, a marketing professor at SUNY Cortland is because he pivoted and he took his number one boutique Christmas gift of, you know, mood slime, which we know can go in a bathtub. If you negatively charge it, the bathtub might try to eat you. You know, we know bath slime is a potential object. So um, I'm amazed by this. I don't ever get to see my my niece's toys and stuff. And my nieces are young. Um, so I don't ever get to see the stuff they play with because I'm never here. Uh, but wandering around my family's home uh, and using the, you know, the restroom and digging for Advil in this medicine cabinet under the sink. What do I find? But bath slime. And I know that I haven't traveled too far in my life from my ancestral roots of people who buy slime for their kids. Um, if you buy slime for your kids. I love you, man. You're awesome. You're doing great. Keep up the awesome parenting. Every child deserves more slime in their life. Um, and so beyond that, I don't have a lot to uh, add to the proceedings before we get into the headlines this week, but I am hoping that you're having a good start to your new years. Um, I have some, you know, we have some exciting things to talk about in headlines in terms of the next production of Ghostbusters that we want to get into and sort of chat with, I want to get into and chat with you about. So sorry there for the kind of repeating myself. But um, yeah, let's do that. Let's get into the news items for this week and start off 2023 as Ghostbusters fans. Still making headlines all across the country, the Ghostbusters are at it again. Today, the entire eastern seaboard is alive with talk of incidents of paranormal activity. All in topic today, ghosts and ghostbusting. Extra plasm, read all about it. Ghostbusters headline coming at you. So our first headline item this week is going to probably going to be the biggest. And it's that it's come out that Ghostbusters Afterlife is going to begin filming in March. And at least in part, the film is going to be happening in the UK. I don't mean in plot. I mean, in terms of filming uh, productionlist.com is a publication of the film and television industry alliance. 
And it's a subscription-based publication whose main objective is to serve as industry news for folks working in filmmaking and television production and sort of as a directory of contacts and our contacts and the like for folks who are working on a film. So it's sort of its audience is usually like people who are doing, you know, lighting and uh, set building and CG, you know, work animators. Those are the kinds of people who are typically going to subscribe to production weekly. Those folks and probably like agencies. And it's largely because it serves as industry news of what productions are going into production and, uh, you know, where they're happening and who the contact information is for the studios, et cetera. So it's come out that the film and television industry alliances pub production publication is listing Ghostbusters firehouse as filming in London, UK beginning on March 6th of 2023. Now, this jives with Production Weekly's earlier reports from last month that the next Ghostbusters film would be filming in the UK in early 2023. And that's something that's been discussed, uh, I think, amongst a few people in private circles that there was like a little blurb in Production Weekly saying this, but that it, not sure that and if some of us wanted to really be like, hey, let's be the first to announce that if the studio's not ready, et cetera. Uh, and so if you're one of the people out there who's heard this thing from Production Weekly, it seems to be pretty true uh, that the filming is happening and it's happening in beginning in March and it's going to be happening primarily. It seems in the UK now to add on to that, which is, this is something that's like breaking news from the extra plasm podcast, um, which it's not really, but it's just something that happened. I went to the Sony lot this past week on a tour, uh, before I left town from California, I actually was given a Christmas gift to go and take the walking tour at Sony, which to be clear, anyone can do who's over the age of 12. Uh, I had a couple of people ask me like, how did you get on the Sony lot? What did you do when they saw photos I posted on Instagram? And I'm like, my partner bought me a ticket. <laughs> it's not impossible to go to the Sony lot if you want to go to the Sony lot. Uh, so we went to the Sony lot. And while we were there, one of the things they walk you through is they take you through Wheel of Fortune. They take you through Jeopardy. They take you through all of the game show sets and things. And that's all great and cool. Uh, but they certainly walk you right past Ghost Core. Um, the window blinds were drawn. I'm not sure if they knew I was coming. I'm kidding. Uh, but the window blinds were drawn to the lobby when we were there. There were people inside. But what was certainly missing from in front of Ghost Core was the Afterlife Ecto-1A. So the car we affectionately refer to as Recto-1. One of those cars, the run and drive car, had been parked in front of uh, the Ghost Core outside the front door where the Ecto and the uh, 2016 Ecto had been parked during FanFest if you were there. Uh, or during EctoFest, they weren't in front of Ghost Core because they were parked near the area where we were watching the movie. But if you were there during FanFest, those cars were parked where they usually are, which is right outside of Ghost Core. Uh, in this case, there was a giant empty parking space right outside of Ghost Core and the original Ecto-1, and then the 2016 Ecto-1 was parked in a parking space uh, adjacent around the corner. So I asked the tour guide explicitly, like, hey, where's, you know, the Ecto-1 from Afterlife? And the tour guide said, point blank, oh, they took it out recently for filming. And I said to the tour guide, that's interesting. I know that there was also one over at the Peterson Museum as well. And if you don't know about this, the Peterson Museum is a big automotive museum that is across the street from the Academy Museum and Museum Row uh, in L.A. And that museum had the non running and driving version of the Ecto one in their environment. So they had that parked on the third floor against the corner a few months ago. And the tour guide explained to me that she knew it had left the Peterson because they had a parent who called them 
and said, hey, we were trying to take our eight-year-old to go see the Ecto-1 at the Peterson, um, but it's not there. Do you guys have one in the lot? We promised our kid as part of our vacation that he would get to see the Ghostbusters car, and they had to break the news to the kid that he wasn't old enough to go on the tour because for liability reasons, you have to be at least over 12. Uh, so according to the tour guide in the Sony lot, and I'm not like, I get it. Like, that's not a very definitive, like I heard from a tour guide that this is what's happening with a movie production. I, I don't mean to overstretch. This is like speculation of where the cars went, but according to the tour guide, the cars were taken off the lot for filming. So let's speculate about this for a minute. How much do you think it costs to potentially ship Ecto ones, two of them <laughs> to the UK? And how do you get to use one boat or do you have to use two? I don't think you can fly them. So if you actually have to transport the Ecto one A's or the Ecto ones, the, you know, cause it's the old Ecto one a and the Ecto one that they made for afterlife that was not in the original movie. But if you got to move two 59 Cadillac Miller meteors across an ocean, what is the most efficient way to do so? I invite you to discuss this in the comments of wherever I post the podcast or I may make a Twitter post about this or an Instagram story because I'm really interested. I'm fascinated by the logistics of if they're filming in the UK, how much material has to actually be moved there. Um, think about the concept that like this is a film that was when they shot the original in 1984, they shot it downtown, uh, you know, from the from the lot, basically. And at that point, it was early Columbia Pictures, but they were in town, right? When they had to go to New York was the furthest they traveled. When they did Afterlife, they basically built a house in Canada and then took the whole damn thing apart and brought it all the way back. They also obviously transported multiple Ecto-1s, but you're doing that by land. You don't need to do it by air or by sea, right? So as a person who's currently uh, standing in New England, I just want to say, I'm going to light some lanterns, two if by air, <laughs> one if by sea, um, for the Ecto-1s, because I don't understand how they're going to get moved. Uh, but in terms of filming happening over across the pond, like I think this is a potentially a really good thing. There's, this is going to be um, potentially a hot take for some people who are like, how can you not film New York in New York? And how can you not be filming Ghostbusters in the United States? Look, the firehouse is gone. I know that's going to sound really horrible to say, but like you can go back and listen to the podcast where I discuss the entire history of the firehouse and what's happening with its current funding. And the reality is that the Ghostbusters firehouse is gone. Um, it's not, it doesn't exist. Hook and Ladder 8 exists and it's a beautiful building and the people who work in it are wonderful. And that's the exterior of the Ghostbusters firehouse. But they're making a movie that's called Firehouse and it's gotta happen, it's gonna have to happen inside of one, not just outside. Uh, that means they have to actually practically build this thing. They have to build us a firehouse. Uh, there, I cannot see these two people, Jason Reitman and Gil Kennan, deciding that the best way to make this movie is not to do practical sets. Right. It's not going to be like for my people. Again, I don't know anything officially. This is all speculation, but I cannot possibly imagine that Jason Reitman and Gil Kennan are sitting around going, you know what we should do? Let's just shoot the whole thing against the green screen and then we'll CG a firehouse in behind it. It's just non non starter. Right. And we it's just not a thing that I would expect to happen. And given like that, we know they can build such a good 3D rendering for something as simple as Ghostbusters spirits unleashed of the firehouse. There is no reason that they couldn't build a 3D CD, you know, CG environment, I'm sure. And they may supplement, but I firmly believe they're going to do a lot of physical prop work. And that means you need big studio spaces. We know all of us know this as sci-fi people that like, if you want to make a giant franchise film, there's places like Pinewood Studios in the UK where you can go and do this. And maybe there's tax breaks involved. Maybe there isn't. I don't really know. I don't even know the ins and outs of the business deal on this. But like, I just mean that 
it's beneficial for the franchise to be able to go to a space where they can do what they want to do uh, and do it in a way that is going to be uh, own up to sort of what we expect, right? Like think about the fact that when they made those, those last three prequel or sequel movies for Star Wars, whether you love them or you hate them, one of the things that everybody talked about that was so impressive is that they would go over to the UK it was Kevin Smith or anybody else who had an opportunity to tour those sets. And they would say, it's amazing. JJ built the Millennium Falcon that it physically exists and it's here and you can go and walk around in the Millennium Falcon. And there's nothing CG about it. And when you watch those movies, even if you think the story is like, meh, you get pulled into those movies so well because you feel like you're back in that environment. Uh, and to me, I want to grant them as much leeway as they can to use as much space as they possibly can wherever they need to to get it done. My one thing is I want my fingers to stay crossed that if they're taking it by sea, that this that those ectos don't fall overboard in a shipping container like a bunch of ectoplasm labs or some other ridiculous nonsense that was a product we never saw in the United States. And so um, this is, you know, the big story this week. We all know this at this point. The filming begins on March 6th. The filming is happening in the UK. The ecto-1s are missing from the lot. Mass hysteria, dogs and cats living together. The next Ghostbusters movie is happening. So um, buckle in because production is going to ramp up at this point pretty quickly once we get to March. And I imagine there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, exciting news to follow. So let's talk a little bit more about some more Ghostbusters fandom and franchise news. Uh, the Windy City Ghostbusters and the Circle City Ghostbusters have announced that their project to update the Ghostbusters franchise map has reached completion. So if you were waiting on that to see where your franchise might have ended up, hopefully in the correct state where it was supposed to be and not like somewhere else on the map, <laughs> then the uh, the map is now released and available for download. I believe it's actually even available in like a 27 by 40 giant like poster sized high resolution printout that you can make. So if you want it for a booth or if you want it to be able to have for a uh, you know, your charity events that is out there at this point. It's a pretty cool piece of art. If you're a ghost head who wants to uh, see all the different logos that are out there and all the different folks who are in different places around the country. So feel free to check that out. I believe you can find that on the Circle City Ghostbusters Facebook page was the place that it was downloadable from when I looked last. And it's a link to a Dropbox that has lots of different versions. There's actually two variants in the uh, that they created. One is the traditional uh, Ghostbusters of North America uh, map that they created on a traditional like green back you know, green map on a blue background like the ocean. Uh, the other is an afterlife styled map that looks like an old like parchment. So it's kind of cool. Uh, feel free to check those out again. Uh, thanks to the Circle City Ghostbusters and Winnie City Ghostbusters for putting that together. And in particular, um, you know, thanks to Jacob Bartlett, who I know was pretty influential in making that effort. Um, and yeah, if you haven't seen it already, go check out the map. Let's talk about merchandise. HasLab Proton Packs are shipping. If you haven't heard the news, uh, the HasLab Proton Pack orders are being processed now. If you log into Hasbro Pulse and you have backed the HasLab Pack, you may find a shipping notification has happened or that your order is in fulfilled status with tracking information if you haven't gotten an email about it. If you haven't gotten an email about it, but you know you have an order, you can actually, uh, if you have a FedEx.com login and you've set that up so that you can look at your address to look at packages, you can go to FedEx.com, log in, and take a look at the package tracking dashboard to see what's happening in your inbound packages. You're likely going to find that you have two inbound packages scheduled for next week, uh, maybe around the 10th of January. I know that's where mine is. I'm not really sure if that's when we're going to necessarily see them because they won't necessarily update for correct shipping dates until they're in FedEx's hands and they process them. But at least in terms of Hasbro's attempts to dispatch them, they're producing labels and letting FedEx know and FedEx knows to expect inbound packages. It looks like there's actually two boxes, at least in my orders for each HasLab proton pack. 
A signature is required to pick them up uh, or rather to have them delivered. In my case, I know I'll probably have it delivered to a FedEx location so I can go get it safely and securely. But um, just know, and that's something you should know if like you're a person who's like, oh, my God, I'm out of town. I traveled cross country and took a microphone with me to go visit my parents in New England. And how will I get my proton pack? Uh, you should be able to go to FedEx.com uh, and reroute that package to a FedEx office store near you and then just pick it up, which is awesome. Uh, but those are shipping. Um, so I imagine we're going to have a lot more content in the next couple of weeks where we all are talking about our HasLab packs and what we do and don't like about them. I'm positive there will be a million video reviews from everyone who wants to break out their Proton Pack and talk about what they do and don't love about it. I'm really excited to get this in my hands. Uh, if not just because like, look, I'm going to sound lame for a minute. Some of you are going to be like, you didn't do any work, so it doesn't matter. But like, I'm actually going to have a full size pack in my life, uh, which I've never had. I've had a spirit pack that I have modified and put hundreds of dollars of work into because it worked for me to do so. And it didn't make sense for me at the time to be able to build a Proton Pack from scratch. Didn't have the space, didn't have the scratch in terms of money to do it, but I could slowly build a spirit pack and enjoy it as I went. Uh, this HasLab pack in many ways, I feel like is kind of the same thing. It's going to almost the next version of that. And I expect we'll see a lot of different modifications and third party add-ons and things that people are going to produce. Uh, even now, I, I believe Ghostbusters news a couple weeks ago covered a new, uh, snap on accessory for the Spengler wand we've had for, had out for a while that allows you to just snap on a, an original style grip over the existing shotgun style grip, um, which I may do cause I just think it looks nicer and makes it look less like a gun. Um, but the point being here that, um, the, these packs are coming. So if you've been waiting for your HasLab pack, you've been wondering when it's going to happen. We thought they were coming in April. I ate crow when I said in December that I thought there was no way they would ship in the first week of, of January. And yet here we are, uh, watching that them process the orders at Hasbro pulse with an intention of shipping them out second week. So um, you know, it may be very possible that by the time I record the next episode, some of you may be sitting there tinkering with your HasLab packs while you listen. Um, and I may be talking about mine. We'll see. Uh, but if nothing else, by the end of the month, I think a lot of us are going to have the proton packs in our hands and have our, you know, our either be very satisfied or we're Ghostbusters fans. I'm sure there'll be plenty of us who figure out how to complain about it. It's <laughs> one of the things we're very good at doing is saying I had expectations and you met some of them, but I'm not quite sure you met all of them. <laughs> so, uh, but let's hope in different proton pack news, Ghostbusters news has provided a follow-up report this week regarding fun.com's upcoming full-size proton pack. If you don't recall this proton pack, it's essentially a hundred percent scale shell that is uh, advertised to have lights and sounds that were pulled from the movie. But many of the lights, greeblies, parts, you know, the little like add-ons and cables and things seem to be borrowed from the existing Spirit and Ruby's packs. And those packs, of course, are 80% size of a HasLab, or of, of a HasLab, that's funny, of an original or OG one-to-one -one pack, right? So they're 80% scale. So this pack seems a little bit like, hey, you've got a full-size pack, but then 80% size like proton uh, or cyclotron lenses for the light, um, you know, 80% size, um, you know, cables. 80% size ribbon cable. So how does this all fit together? And I've called it the Franken pack as a result, which is of no insult to Franken geek, <laughs> which don't confuse the two things. Uh, but Franken pack to me is what this fun.com company is making because it takes an existing set of greeblies and parts in a supply chain for like rubies and spirit packs and seems to integrate them into a new shell. Um, I don't necessarily think it looks great. I'm not sure that necessarily anybody did. And maybe they are choosing to retool this thing because originally the pack was supposed to come out in June 21st of 2022. 
It didn't, and then it was given several rescheduled dates until the most recent one of January 1st, 2023. Um, that did not happen. The pack is now listed as out of stock despite never having been in stock. Uh, so it's not really clear when this pack is going to happen. Maybe they're going to push to the 40th anniversary, uh, like next year. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but it seems like fun is making some reevaluations or having some problems with that proton pack. So if you missed out on the HasLab pack and you've been thinking, Hey, there's a second option for me to get a full size pack. Um, uh, it may be a little longer to see that come to fruition. So, um, know that, but you know, it's, we'll hope that it's going to come out. I know that a lot of people have kind of made comments about their proton pack and whether or not it's good or bad, et cetera. And my standpoint is that more proton packs is good. More options for people to be able to do what they want to do is just, is definitely good. So hopefully that pack is going to get uh, some rectification, <laughs> if you will. Another piece of merchandise update I want to give, and this is a, a sort of follow-up in a way. Um, many of you who listen to this podcast may recall that episode seven, Legends of the Lost Hasbro Toys, is a long story discussion of the uh, lost Hasbro items, the ectoplasm lab, and specifically in more, more in depth, the RC trap that was, we believe canceled in the United States. Um, this strange thing happened over the last week, which is that way, way back in August of 2021, a, a few of us, yours truly, uh, found a link <laughs> for something called the GHB RC funnel that was available at Amazon. And if you were savvy, you could figure out that GHB RC funnel was actually the code name for the RC trap. In August of 2021, Amazon listed the GHB RC funnel for pre-order. Uh, and it was the week that the trap vanished from everywhere else. The release date for the pre-order was January 1st, 2023. And when you ordered one of these, the item would immediately go out of stock. So I ordered one. I figured it would never come through. Nothing would happen. I also told a few other people and said, hey, check this link, watch it, see what happens. If it comes in stock, order it. Chances are high that it's never going to come into shipment, but you won't get billed until anything ships anyway because it's Amazon. All they're going to do is put a temporary authorization on your card. And if it ships, then they'll bill you. Then they'll actually process the charge. So some of us did that in August of 2021, and we forgot about it. And then Last week, as we entered the new year, someone messaged me and said, hey, have you taken a look at your Amazon order for your RC trap from August of 2021? And sure enough, they shipped. Um, and so I'm going to say this now. I need to make this addendum, and I may at some point have to put out a part two to the uh, Legends of the Lost Hasbro toys, especially because I found out more things about the mini puffs since. But the addendum to episode seven you are getting now in this episode which is that the final place that the Ghostbusters RC trap was actually located and was shipped to was Amazon.com, who appeared to have a small supply of them that were available for pre-order in August of 2021 for a shipment in January of 2023 that all came from a warehouse in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, they were likely supposed to be canceled. Someone at Amazon probably just set a date of January 2023, figuring we'll get back to this later and figure out what we're supposed to be doing with these when things were in flux. And then they totally forgot, sat around in a warehouse, and eventually a robot picked them up and brought them to a person to put into shipping. And lo and behold, I, oddly enough, I just gave away an RC trap for the ectoplasm, <laughs> the extraplasm unobtainium giveaway. And the week next week, an RC trap arrived at the door. So 
Um, what goes around comes around, I guess it's a strange thing to think about. And maybe in the future, we'll do another giveaway, uh, to help out another charity or to help out starlight again. Uh, but it, if this is something to know, there are more RC traps that are out there that entered the world or have been in the world the whole time, but entered into our fan world, at least in the last week, this far along and this far out from ghostbusters afterlife. I have yet to see mine because I have been traveling. So I had to ask somebody to pick mine up from the uh, carrier because I had it held for pickup. But if you ordered one of those back in August uh, and you're listening, <laughs> you may want to check and see if your order has shipped because uh, several of us received RC traps in the mail in the past week, which is something I never, ever would have thought. But hey, I, I keep getting surprised. I say that they're not going to ship the HasLab packs in January of 2023. And lo and behold, they're shipping the HasLab packs. I say there's no way that Amazon could possibly be fulfilling a Hasbro order uh, <laughs> for RC traps in 2023. And lo and behold, they are. So if anybody else wants to throw out something out there that's really awesome as an idea that I will immediately say is not going to happen so that it can happen, feel free. Um, I'm a whole game for that. So I think that covers our big headlines for this week. I'm sure there's a couple other smaller items out there that I might have missed that we'll kind of touch back up on at a different point. Uh, because I am on the road and I am on vacation a little bit and experience time with my family. So I'm going to keep things a little shorter this week. But um, I'm excited to bring you this interview that follows with James Green Jr., author of A Convenient Parallel Dimension, How Ghostbusters Slimed Us Forever. Let's turn now to my interview with James. Joining me now on the Extraplasm podcast is uh, James Green Jr., the author of a Convenient Parallel Dimension, the uh, new g book about the history of the production of Ghostbusters and uh, all, all of ghosts and ghostbusting, in a sense, if it was Larry King's book. Um, but uh, thank you for joining me on the, on the podcast today, James. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, we were talking a moment ago about Larry King. So for those of you who are like, wait, Larry King wrote a book? No, we were talking about, you know, Larry King... Uh, being probably a, a better or worse interviewer than I may be, but um. <laughs> uh, Larry King, you're better than Larry King. Uh, Larry King probably wrote a book. I'm, I I won't check it right now out of uh, respect to you. I won't Google anything, but I, I would guess he wrote a book. I'd put money on it. Was it a book? I don't know if he wrote a book on ghostbusting though. So I I, I doubt oh, no, it. But he didn't. But you he definitely did. didn't do that. You definitely yes. did, which is why you're here. So. Um, I think I wrote a book about Ghostbusters. Yeah, I put money on that. Can, I won't Google it right now. You have some you. some slight memory of writing a book about <laughs> spending a lot of time writing a book about Ghostbusters. Uh, yeah, but I do want to applaud you for your Star Trek Four poster behind you uh, because I was oh, thank just you. talking about that movie uh, last week on this podcast about. Um, how I want to see like a Ghostbusters movie that uh, doesn't necessarily even have like an Ecto one or a firehouse in it in the same sense, like Star Trek four doesn't really have an enterprise and it doesn't really mm. even have the future in it, um, <laughs> but it's still a yeah. great Star Trek movie. So yeah, um, I'd like to see a Ghostbusters movie with Catherine Hicks. Um, <laughs> what you can't see is like uh, the, on the, uh, on the other wall, uh, we have Star Trek posters for one through three. Nice. And I, I just recently bought the Star Trek four poster. Um, I got it for my wife for Christmas because uh, I felt like we needed, that used to be a laser blast poster, but I felt we <laughs> needed to have laser blast has moved to the bathroom. So now we have Star Trek four, uh, you know, so it, it completes the thing uh, in the room and we have, uh, well, we have, uh, we have other stuff going on. It's, it's unimportant, but thank you. Thank you. Let me applaud your, uh, various Ghostbusters decorations thank you. in the background. Thank you. That's why you came on a podcast. So we would critique each other's rooms. Like, look at this. It's like MTV cribs, but for nerds. 
<laughs> but, but you mean extremely cool people. Exactly. Cool exactly. Creatives with good brains. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk because uh, I was really stoked to get a chance to uh, take a look at your book and to get a listen of your book because um, I both looked at the print copy of your book and listened to the audio copy of your book because why not be comprehensive uh, if you're going to mm-hmm. talk to somebody. But um, I really enjoyed it and I wanted to talk with you a bunch more about it. Um, so thank you for coming on to talk. Um, cause uh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to hear you enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it was definitely a good read or a good listen, however you want to put it. And I will say that for uh, podcast fans out there, cause I don't know why there, there can't be any of those people out there listening to that. Um, if you're not a reader, um, this is something you can get an audiobook and enjoy in 12 hours or less. Or if you're like a person who listens in 1.5 X, then you can, I don't know, speed listen. <laughs> <laughs> media marathon it i don't know but uh but yeah thank you for coming on james because it's a bit, i really think it was a very uh a cool book and and tell us a bit just sort of people out there who haven't heard about the book like what is the book in your words like what was your goal your intent um yeah my goal and my intent was to author a book uh, that was a comprehensive, uh, uncensored history of the Ghostbusters films and their production and the people involved with them, uh, and also, uh, you know, put it put them in a cultural context and explain, uh, you know, how how Hollywood shaped them, how they did they shape Hollywood, did they how it affected these people's lives who were involved with them, <clears throat> you know, how it affected our lives. So uh, it's, it's, it's place in, uh, in our, our history. And, um, and I felt like there hasn't been uh, anything really to do that and to cover all the movies and to really get into, uh, you know, there've been some fantastic books um, about Ghostbusters, some fantastic uh, behind the scenes stuff and, and, and visual histories. And, uh, <clears throat> but there was nothing that kind of, that uh, really, got into in depth, you know, the people and the, the history and uh, you know, where, like where these, where the people like Ivan Reitman and Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, where they came from, like Ernie Hudson, like where they were going, like what, how this affected their lives. And, you know, I just, that was what I was trying to do. And uh, do you feel that you did it? <laughs> I asked you, what was your intent, your goal? Not that you're like, this is what my goal, my intent was. I'm like, cool. What was your result? You're like, well, I wrote a book uh, about Shira and uh, gem, gem and the uh, gem, the, the truly outrageous by accident instead. No, um. <laughs> uh, I feel that I was, uh, I feel that I was successful. Mostly. I feel that I, I'm very proud of the book. Um, I no no book is perfect. And um, there were things that I wish, uh, uh, there were things I wish I had more time to do or to cover or to, uh, you know, sometimes you get done with something and you think, Oh, I, I w- I'd totally redo that if I had a chance to do it right now. You know, and I say that uh, the book was delayed a few times mm-hmm. because of, uh, because of the pandemic. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm fortunate that I did have extra time to, to, to work on a lot of stuff and to really finesse certain parts. But, you know, it's like, uh, it's one of the, and I experienced this with the previous two books I wrote where it's like, you know, I could work on this for the next 10 years if I was allowed to. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I feel, but it's not for me to say whether I succeeded. It's for the readers sure. to say if I succeeded. I'm, I mean, so. I'm being facetious because I realized I phrased the question that way of like, what was your intent? And it's like, <laughs> well, uh, it was to write a book, dummy. Um, clearly. Um, but <laughs> no, I think, I think you did a good job of, of synthesizing together a lot of information, 
um, from a lot of different places. And, you know, even if you're somebody who's really well read as a Ghostbusters fan, who's like been following GB fans and, you know, uh, reading everything since protoncharging.net, there's still stuff in there that will surprise you. Like you'll go, wait, I never heard that before. Um, And then you'll go to the very copious notes section um, and be like, wow, okay, so that's where that came from. (laughs) And and, and in some cases, in my case, I went, I never heard that before. And I went to the notes section. I went, I've totally heard that before I read that. (laughs) Like, I I remember that. Right. So, um, but yeah, I, I think you did a great job of synthesizing together a lot of information um, over the course of the fandom. And I've sort of the fandom's history. And I sort of have said to folks that um, I feel like your book is a good like if you're coming into Ghostbusters fandom, if you're like a person who found the book, found the movie and you like. I don't know if you, you knew about it, but you were never deep into the fandom wanted, and wanted to know a lot about what's going on in its history and how rich it is. Like there's a lot in your book about that. Um, and in some cases it comes out of fan resources, which is like, so to me is like, just illustrates like how much we information we hold as a fandom um, that like books end up citing it and it kind of becomes mm-hmm. a, a resource for itself. Um, so yeah, there you go. Good job. I'm giving you a star, a, a gold star for this book. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, now I, now I can retire. Right. And uh, never do anything again. Gold stars are non-negotiable as currency, just so you know. So don't quit your day job. But um, <laughs> um, well, tell us a bit like you mentioned your, your previous books. Like, what's your background? How did you come into like, how did you come into writing a Ghostbusters book, I guess? And like, how does that come out of your previous writing? Uh, well, um. My previous two books are about music, specifically about punk rock. Uh, the first book I wrote was This Music Leaves Stains. It's a, a biography of the Misfits. And then I wrote Brave Punk World, which is a uh, <clears throat> general history of punk rock in other countries and other continents. Nice. And um, I felt like, you know, and I spent 10, 15, 17 years as a freelance writer, mainly working at, at writing about music. Nice. And I kind of felt like, you know, my goal was like, I just want to write one book, you know, that to me, that was like the end of the rainbow or whatever. And I wrote that Misfits book and then I was like, all right, but I still want to do this, this, uh, this Brave Punk World book. And then I felt like I never want to write the words, the bass player again. I never want to write the words like (laughs) guitarist again. Uh, So I was like, and I had actually before when the misfit and the idea I always wanted to write like about ghostbusters and I was, uh, always felt like there should be a ghostbusters book like this. And I actually, uh, pitched it, um, to the publisher right after the misfits book was released. And, um, for about an hour, it looked like it was happening, but then it fell apart. Uh, and it was just always kind of an idea I had. And after uh, Brave Punk World, I was working on a book. <laughs> Even though I was like sick of music, I was really struck. Like oh, I was working on a book about Guns and Roses, and I thought like I tried to do that, and I couldn't get it. I couldn't. I couldn't uh, sell it anywhere. Even my uh, even the publisher that I've been working with on these previous two books were like. What? They're like, we don't really want to do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, God, what am I going to do? And then they announced. Um, they announced uh, Afterlife, and that was like a jolt. You know, yeah. it was like it really reinvigorated me. I was like, I, I called the publisher. I was like, Hey, can we? I was like, I know you had concerns prior, but I think I could do this book in a really interesting, comprehensive way, and it'll be different from other stuff. And uh, they're like, Yeah, let's do it. They everybody was jazzed when they announced Afterlife. Everybody was like, Yeah, yes. You know, there was such excitement. So they're like, I kind of 
channeled that and then uh, I was like all right and it was it was also to me it was like a challenge like even though I was sick of writing about music I'm I feel like I had some aptitude for it and I'd never written at length about Hollywood or movies and I felt like well this is a new challenge and I can try I mean I'll say this your Ray Parker Jr. coverage in the book is outstanding like I mean there's like oh, like you. your like that music writing experience comes through there because there's a lot of good nuggets and like good quotes from him um that i had not heard before um that i was like where did you find some of this stuff um yeah but then to hear it read back by by, by a, a guy and is an audiobook narrator who's like reading ray parker jr quotes out of not using his voice is kind of funny uh but i digress <laughs> yeah yeah but, yeah but that came through for sure that music background um so that's interesting yeah Thank you. Yeah, people have said that's uh, that's some of the best stuff in the book is the right, and certainly like uh, yeah, you know, I, yeah, you're, it, it was also some of the it's also some of the most fascinating because Ray Parker, I feel, has really, you know, he's he's uh, he's worked really hard. He's a fascinating figure. He's worked super hard, and, <laughs> but he's also like done some really messed up stuff. <laughs> and uh, it's and to me, it's like oh god, this guy, he's uh, such an interesting figure. And captivating, and the people in his orbit uh, are captivating, you know. And just the whole, the whole uh, <clears throat> story about Ivan Reitman really wanting to use the Huey Lewis song, and then going to all these other musicians and talking to some of these musicians, and yeah, I mean, that was something that was always super interesting to me. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, I'm always impressed when somebody is able to sort of track the lineage of the the Ghostbusters theme song, like through the Hughes and Thrall track, like through all the different iterations. Um, because I, you know, I, I've, I don't, I really love, and I don't know if you, if you know this, that the Hughes and Thrall track ended up becoming the Dragnet song. Like that it's. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Cause when I was interviewing, uh, Patrick Thrall, he was like, uh, we were talking about Dragnet a little and then he's like, uh, he's like, I'm staring at, the, I'm sitting here staring at the guitar that we used in the Dragnet video. And I was like, yeah, really? And, uh. He was like, yeah, you know, it was, I mean, I know people think it was, it's silly now, but it, it was cool. It was cool to do. And, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, he, uh, um, you know, he's a, to me, he, he had, uh, he was really frank about a lot of stuff and it was cool. And it was, uh, you know, the, uh, he definitely like gets it, you know, people kind of having a certain kind of appreciation for the dragnet thing. Yeah. You totally understand. Yeah. No, I have to say yeah. that, but like that, if there's, if you're out there listening going, I know everything about ghostbusters, what could I possibly learn? Like you should go and buy this book. If nothing else, just for the chapter on Ray Parker Jr.'s song alone. Uh, Cause <laughs> well, there's so much, so much interesting stuff in there. Um, but like, I think that's cool. Like that your background came out of sort of like freelance writing and music and uh, entertainment. And then sort of like dovetailed into writing, books on misfits and punk which i have to say i love because like my favorite band is the descendants and my second favorite oh, band is right all on, and right i have on. i have my all oh, tattoo sure. so um, oh nice yeah but nice, that's yeah. my one tattoo on my body is of the uh the the i guess lesser known version the side project of the descendants people are like what is that and i'm like oh, yeah, oh all is great yeah, you know great. i saw i saw all a few times back in the day when uh i think they had chad price singing yeah no, they're great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Descendants did a lot of great stuff. For um, sure. So, <clears throat> so so I have so much respect because I'm like, oh, you like that's cool. You're into things I like um, well, so <laughs> other than Ghostbusters. <laughs> but um, 
so that's cool. So you're like, does your history then, do you like, are you like a long-term fan of Ghostbusters then? Like, did you come into this? Cause like, you've like, you're one of us who's like watched it since you were a kid or like, you know? How- oh yeah. 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 Definitely. It was like one of the first movies that really resonated with me when I was a kid. And, uh, yeah, I absolutely have the same, <clears throat> the same story of like where I was a kid and I wish I could be a Ghostbuster. And I, 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 you know, it was just like, uh, so enthralling to me and it was, um, you know, to me, yeah, it was just on a whole other level from the, the other stuff that I was into. And, um, you know, just, you know, automatically would like, you know, snap something in my brain and my heart seeing that, seeing the, the logo or hearing the music or any of that. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's not, it's definitely something where I've always been super into it. And, uh, you know, I feel very fortunate that I got to write a whole book about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, it's, it's, I, you're, the, the passion for it definitely like comes through in terms of, um, how many sources you're consulting, like on a, like by page, like you get like through one page and you're like, how many numbers are there? <laughs> you go to the notes, you're like, my goodness, each of these is like four or five sources that like you're actually going through and like it's one note is like three or four different things being synthesized. And so, um, I, I have to ask you like, what's the time frame Like that start, like when did you start writing the book? Like how, how long did it take you to put together? Uh, let's see. Um, when did they announce Afterlife? So it's, that was it's like, like January 2019, right? Because it's like they show up at FanFest in June and they're talking about how he's been to. Yeah, yeah. So stuff. around so around January 2019. And then um, I worked on it right up until I turned the manuscript in. Uh, in um, I think I turned in the manuscript in March of this year. Um like, uh, so it was, you know, um, just constant, constantly working on it. Um, you know, as much as I could every single day and, um, you know, not really, uh, and I, like I said, there were, there were some delays, you know, because of the pandemic, obviously I was like adamant, like with the publisher, like afterlife has to be included. Right. Like, we can't, we can't like. I didn't want to get it out like as Afterlife was coming out. I was like, we have to wait till after Afterlife's out. I think they were kind of annoyed that, that was what I wanted to do, but uh, they were like, okay, that's fine. You should have been like, look, is- they're all annoyed too. Everyone who's going to buy this book is annoyed that Afterlife <laughs> well, isn't out yet. Um, but well, the publisher, <laughs> the publish, the publisher at one point was said to me like, well, why not? All of our other books are delayed. <laughs> so. so uh, um, yeah, yeah, and it was like uh, I can't think of any time where I was. I, I, I was like, I got to at least do something. One, I got to at least spend like an hour every day working on something. You know, yeah. some days it was like morning, noon, and night, and you know, like I'm married and I have two kids, uh, so there's like you know a lot of stuff going on. Um, and there was like I think the actually the first time I asked for a delay, it was uh, not. I think I know the first time I asked for an extension. Uh, it was because um, my son has special needs and he had a growth spurt and we had to change uh, certain aspects of our living situation. Gotcha. And I was like, I need, I need, I need a little extra, but um, yeah. So it took, it took that long. And but like I said, like, you know, I could have kept going on it. Uh, I could have, it was, yeah. And getting up to the turning the manuscript in, I w- I'm like staying up all night and I'm not sleeping, which is so stupid to do when you're 43 <laughs> years old. So dumb. Cannot, not it a good idea. It doesn't work anymore, right? Like you're like, no, when you're in no. college, it's could You could totally do it. Like mm. what's the time? I, 
I remember crawl. I remember getting into bed at like 10 a.m. Like around the time, around the time my wife gets up for work, and I was like, "Okay, I turn the manuscript in. Uh, I I need to lay down for just like a little bit before the day starts." But I feel like I feel like a mummy. Nothing is working. I can barely move. So, um, but. You know. Well, it's kind of funny when you and I started talking about trying to set this interview up, I was in the midst of my end of the year stuff for teaching. And I was very much like when I was messaging you, I would like see a message from you from Facebook Messenger at like three o'clock in the morning. Like, OK, I can't answer this right now because I'll be like waking some dude up in Texas. and That would be bad. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was nah. very much that mummy guy going to bed at like seven or eight o'clock in the morning going, I don't know, the grading is done. Uh, yeah. I'll see you later. <laughs> but it's hard. Yeah. And when you get older, yeah. it doesn't work. So for those of you out there who are young and uh, still like do that thing of staying up till four o'clock in the morning and then going to work <clears throat> like, yeah, enjoy that. That that doesn't work forever <laughs> mm-hmm. but sure um yeah um so i i, I think it's cool that, like you, you uh you know i think it's cool that you kind of pull together this book that doesn't just cover like one of the movies it's like like it's like don't get me wrong like i love all the books that we've that have been published but, like often it's like the afterlife book is just about afterlife um you know the visual history of ghostbusters book has like some of ghostbusters in it but it's not going to get you everything whereas like i think that your book is interesting because it kind of is compartmentalized into this like pre-ghostbusters era um there's sort of like this almost like two was it maybe two almost three chapters before we even get into like the actual production of Ghostbusters. It's like, here's yeah. all the background context of who these actors are, where they're coming from, what the tensions are and like SNL, like who's mm-hmm. leaving, who's coming and going like all that stuff. Um, which mm-hmm. I did not to compare your book to another book, but it made me think of, uh, Nick Semulans, um, whose name I'm probably butchering, uh, wild and crazy guys that came out last year, which kind of talked mm-hmm. about like Steve Martin and Martin short. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is kind of like the Ghostbusters, um, kind of version of that in a way that kind of paints that story and tells how they all kind of existed. So, mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of progressed into, you know, how each of these movies gets developed. And some of the most fascinating stuff I thought that was in there um, was kind of like the context of you know the theater uh, or the studio and how it's changing, how like Coca-Cola is buying it and the business interests and stuff. Um, so I don't want to like, you know, make you pick one thing in your book um, and be like, hey, let's just spoil your book for everybody. But um, like what was what, what's something that you were genuinely surprised? Like you didn't know that you would kind of like, and you don't have to be like specifics, but like, what's a topic you can think of? Like you were really, you didn't really know about it. And kind of I, I need, maybe, you know, maybe there isn't, you're like, I knew it all already, but <laughs> yeah, yeah I, knew, I knew every single thing in the book. I didn't need to talk to anybody. I just like <laughs> sat down and wrote the whole thing in one day. Yeah. Um, I was lying that it took me years to do. I made um, up all the notes. Um, <laughs> uh, well, there were a lot of things that surprised me. And there were a lot of things I didn't know. There was a lot of, uh, well, <clears throat> you know, talking, um, you know, <clears throat> I didn't know, uh, you, you often you'd read this stuff about how, uh, you know, David Putnam, who is the head of uh, Columbia when they were trying to get Ghostbusters 2 off the ground, you would hear that he was like an anti-sequel guy and uh, this, that, and the other thing. And he was you know, like very against like commercial Hollywood. And I didn't, I didn't know his entire background. He was just kind of, and I thought it was important to like, uh, to like flesh out where this guy was coming from. And, um, you know, I was, I was fascinated that he was, uh, his, his, if I was, I was fascinated to learn that he was involved in so many important, like prestige films, uh, in England and here, but also that like, he was like, like his immediate experiences, uh, like he, and he walked away, he was working, um, 
like uh, he was working for an advertising agency. He was a man of principle. He quit yeah. the advertising agency because they wanted to do ads for cigarettes. Um, and then he was in photography briefly. But like what was fascinating to me was like he never seemed completely happy with any film project he was working on. And it was like there was always some weird of contention and it's like okay so this is so because it's easy to be like oh he's the guy who didn't want them to make ghostbusters 2 and you think like you know uh, maybe there's uh, you know what are the other sides of the story or like what you know it's easy as fans to like be like this guy's our enemy because he was holding up <laughs> movie. but he was he had contentious relations with everybody right and i was like that's really interesting because you know i mean you'd figure like that's probably kind of normal in Hollywood where people like, you know, fight about stuff all the time. But he was really like, man, he, he, uh, some of his rhetoric and his remarks are just like, wow, fascinating. And, uh, you know, going back <clears throat> to the, uh, Ray Parker thing, <clears throat> Ray Parker Jr. You know, he has, I like I kind of said before, he has done a great job of <clears throat> presenting himself a certain way to the public. I think, I don't know if I said that before, but I'll say it now. <laughs> uh, he's, I think he's definitely done a lot of image control and I wasn't, I wasn't completely aware of how, uh, I wasn't aware of how quickly he recorded Ghostbusters, how much of it was him playing the instruments. <clears throat> right. I wasn't aware of, uh, I wasn't aware of the story of the guest musicians that he, he had. No, I wasn't until I've like, that was, that was a section of your book where I was just like, <clears throat> wait, what, who? <laughs> like, so that's yeah. fascinating. Um, yeah. And, um, going forward in time i had heard rumors that uh that ivan reitman and sheldon khan went in to work on an edit of the 2016 ghostbusters but i didn't know that until i spoke with uh the uh, one editor um i think it was brent white i think was his name his last name is definitely white i don't want to say his name his first name is brent i'm not exactly sure i think that's his name he uh he was like yeah they, you know we because he worked he was uh, an editor who worked with ivan reitman previously on some stuff and he's like yeah you know because like they came in and did it and they didn't you know it didn't really change anything it didn't uh, you know and he can he kind of you know and he also was kind of confirmed that or denied certain things I'd heard about Ghostbusters 2016. Like, you know, some of the rumors you heard about how much the studio was involved or like how Paul Feig would say they, you know, he had total autonomy, if that was true or not. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and aspects of Jason Reitman's, uh, trajectory. And I was really interested to, I learned, um, you know, just reading interviews with him. Cause he, you know, he's still comparably like a young figure in Hollywood. Sure. And, um, I was fascinated to read some of, uh, I thought he had a good, uh, a kind of a good take on like, you know, cause some, there was an interview where someone was like, uh, you know, poking fun at Adam Sandler and he kind of like, you know, stuck up for Adam Sandler. And, you know, it's like, didn't, I mean, it's easy to kind of like look at it as like a nepotism situation, but he has, uh, you know, he has a body of work previous to after that this you know speaks for itself sure. and you know he seems to have uh you know uh convictions and like an uh, uh like you know understandings um you know he's i i don't think you know it was interesting because i wasn't sure uh you know exactly what you know i what i just wasn't exactly sure what where he was coming from or what his story was or what how he mm -hmm. 
presented himself or however you want to call it. But I was like, okay, that's interesting. This guy, I agree with a lot of things he's saying. I also wasn't aware that, uh, like, uh, that he, that thank you for smoking only got made because, um, that other, the guy who co-founded PayPal just like was called and was like, Hey, let's do it. (laughs) I'll I'll give you all the money. So yeah, but there are tons of other things, tons of other things I didn't even put in the book. Sure. Oh, I'm I'm like, I mean, and one of the things I was like, um, you know, not to like get too much specific into your sources, but, um, and we don't need to get into the things that we didn't put in the book, but I couldn't help but notice at one point that, um, when you were talking about Ghostbusters 2016, you were describing a conversation that Amy Pascal was having with someone. And I went, I've read this and I know exactly where, um, and I was like, this is, this is WikiLeaks. <laughs> this, these are the leaked emails. Um, mm-hmm. how the, and this is, I guess this is a two part question is like, obviously like one, you chose to go into the book. Like, um, you don't, you didn't have Sony's backing on the book as a licensor. Right. Um, Right. So when did you make that decision? I guess is the first question. The second was second would be like how like I don't I don't know how much of you end up going into those emails, but like how far did you go into looking at sort of Sony's internal communications via their Wiki, WikiLeaks stuff as a, a source for the book, um, especially about 2016? OK, well, the Sony, my conversations with Sony happened pretty early in the uh, history of writing this book. Because I was reaching out to everybody, I wanted to try to interview everybody, you know. And um, I uh, had emailed like Ivan Reitman, Dan Aykroyd, and uh, Paul Feig all around the same time, and this got like looped into a big email chain with uh, assistants from Ghost Core and Sony, who were like, "Okay, tell really tell us about this book. Like, what's this book gonna be?" Like where, like uh, where are you going to get the pictures? What pictures do you plan to use? Like what? Who are you going to talk to? Who's your publisher? What's your deal? Mm-hmm. Like where are you from? Right. Uh, <clears throat> and we went back and forth, and we laid it all. You know, we I kind of laid it all out to them, and uh, they came back and said, uh, "Okay, you know, I think what we want to do is uh, we want to buy the book and make it an official thing." Um, but you have to give us editorial control. And it, it took me three seconds to be like, that's never going to fly because they're going to cut out all the stuff that's like never been printed before. Mm-hmm. And I also felt like I would have no, I'm not like, uh, you know, I, I am not a named journalist by any means. Like I have no clout. I can't fight them on anything. So I felt, and then I, I, but I talked to my publisher. I said, this is a bad idea, right? This would be bad to do. And they're like, yeah, not just for the editorial thing. This is going to cost us money. Right. Like, you signed a deal with us. <laughs> they're like, you know, they're, they're, we're going to, uh, we lose the, the book and you and we're in the hole. I was like, yeah, okay. So <clears throat> that was that. And uh, <clears throat> they were, you know, everything was cordial. They were like, best of luck. And uh, <clears throat> to answer uh, your part question about the WikiLeaks, um, I, um, you know, WikiLeaks. I don't. I think they still have, keep their um, archive. Oh yeah, uh, online. And um, I spent like days and days, like like you know, maybe a couple weeks. <laughs> you are probably going. the only person I've ever talked to who has done the same thing. <laughs> I have done this. This is why I noticed. I was like, I told somebody else I did this. They were like, you did what? Oh. And I was like, I searched the whole thing for Ghostbusters and I read everything. Yeah. And they're like, why? And I was like, it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, and I actually. Um, 
I tried to go a step further because, you know, there were, <clears throat> there were attachments in those emails, like PDFs of, uh, the script that, um, the Ghostbusters three script that, uh, Eaton Cohen had written, I believe mm-hmm. <clears throat> called alive again. And, um, I, I contact, I tried to contact, uh, whoever runs WikiLeaks to be like, is there any way to recover these? Like what, you know, can, what can we do here? But they're, it's difficult to get a hold of them. I never heard anything. I tried a few times, uh, and they don't have like a normal. No. Cause especially cause like, it's like the process is like the question of like, is it, it's legally not, it's dubious, right? I mean like the, the content even being there cause it's stolen content that then WikiLeaks leaked. So it's like, I, I don't even know how you consider it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, but I mean, it was like, this is one of those things where it was like, this whole book is like, all right, I really got to try to bring the A game and I got to do everything, you know, I got to not like pussyfoot around. And there were times where it's like, there was just a a few times where it was like, you know, uh, like I, I never heard from him, but, uh, I was like, I kept hearing this stuff like, uh, oh, you know, Dan Aykroyd was going to offer uh, Ghost, the Ghostbusters directing job to John Landis, but, uh, you know, he had bad blood with Ivan Reitman after Animal House, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, so it didn't it didn't take, like, he would have, like, a Dan Aykroyd thought John Landis could direct this and Ivan Reitman could produce mm-hmm. it. But, uh, you know, th- and this is all stuff that I heard secondhand or just, like, you know, uh, right. like colloquially or whatever. And I was like, do I really want to reach out to John Landis? Like, I, you know, because I don't think he's a good person. I think he should be in jail for what he did on the Twilight Zone. If you read uh, the book Outrageous Conduct, it is clear. He knew he was doing something illegal. He knew he was putting people in danger. He knew he was putting children in danger. He said, I'm going to do it anyway. He literally said, I'm going to do it anyway. And three people died. He should be in jail. And I felt like... But I listen, this is like, you know, and I'm thinking like, all right, but I need to know who else is going to know. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not I can't talk to Dan Aykroyd because of, you know, Sony doesn't want Sony's like, you can't talk to Dan Aykroyd unless you give us the book. <clears throat> so I buckled down and I was like, I just wrote an email. I'm like, hey, uh, you know, I just have a silly question. It'll just take a couple minutes of your time. You know, I never heard anything from him. But that's like that's like. You know, you're trying to get all sides of the story. Yeah. And that's, I have to say, like, there's a a few points in your book where, like, respectively, you will sort of say, like, here is one version of the story. (laughs) And then you'll say, however, there are also other versions of the same story. Right. And it's like, you're like, there, I've heard four different things about the same Mm -hmm. thing. And, like, it's kind of left for you as a reader to be like, so figure out where the overlap is in these stories and what you think is true, because I can't Mm -hmm. really tell you. And that's appreciable, right? Because, like, you're part of what's so hard about, I think, what you were doing. um, And I think, like, a lot of people don't, a lot of folks who don't, you know, one, like, who've never written a book or never really done, like, academic research and things like that or synthesis is, like, you're doing interpretation, right? It's like you're interpreting all these different facts in order to illustrate a clear narrative for folks. And I think that's so mm-hmm. challenging, right? It's like mm-hmm. to have like, like a clear and consistent voice that's organized and like easy to follow in that process. And then also like is going to, on the one hand, be honest to the facts, right? On the other hand, mm-hmm. be like, respectful to people involved. And on the third hand, like make sure you don't get yourself in trouble. <laughs> right? Like It's like, yeah. you know, it's not an easy job. Like, and I think that that's, it's commendable, like that you do a, a good oh, job of synthesizing thanks. information in that way. So, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's definitely not easy uh, for all those reasons you stated. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, you know, 
and it's tough because there's so much stuff that's like, and you're also dealing with, uh, people like, you know, a lot of these people's, uh, you know, a lot of these people who were involved with Ghostbusters, like that was so long ago for them. And it was only, it was only a blip right. in like a, a lengthy, very life, you know? So it was like, and there was some stuff I just had to let go, you know, like, um, I talked to Sheldon Kahn and he was saying, uh, he was telling me like, oh, I took a shot from, um, I stole a shot for the Ghostbusters teaser trailer. I took a shot from uh, Paul Mazursky's Tempest. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I never noticed that before. It's like, yeah, you know. Um, And I I watched the Tempest and I poured over the teaser trailer and I looked at some other trailers and I was like, I don't, I'm not seeing this. I don't know what, you know. But but, uh, I was like, I, you know, maybe he misspoke. Maybe he is misremembering something. But it was also, it was also one of those things where it's like, this isn't like earth shattering. Right. It's just like, it's kind of interesting that it's like, oh, I wonder, you know, and I wanted, you know, I didn't get a chance to, to like, I, I didn't, I, I had met with him in Los Angeles and then I called him about it later. And I was like, I don't want to keep pressing this guy about this silly thing. It's like, you know, I'm very <laughs> fortunate that he spoke to me at all. Right. But you know, this isn't like a make or break thing. It's just kind of like a fascinating little thing. And I just, I didn't, if he, if he did do that, he hit it. <laughs> he hit it well. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know where it is. Uh, so, um, but that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's what's funny is like, you could probably do a whole <clears throat> second book about all the ephemera that you didn't put in the first one. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah ab- like, absolutely. Because there's so much stuff. I mean, even like, you know, I, I even think about the st- number of things that I've heard about afterlife that, you know, we will see whether or not they're true over time because we see what director's cuts or if, if we follow the Reitman, the Reitman line of things and we won't get a director's cut. The director's cut was the movie we already saw. Uh, and then we'll get other content <laughs> that gets released yeah, later. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, you know, I, I think that like there's a, there's so much stuff in those movies that we never saw in so many different takes. And even like when that trap box came out, the collectible version of the movie they put out last year we got like the work print of the movie, just like as yeah. you see all these different, you know, pieces of the movie. You go, man, how many other things happened on this set that you just don't know happened? Um, yeah. Yeah. So true. Um, so I, again, I think it was a really cool work to synthesize it together. Um, what do you think was the most challenging thing to cover? Like, what, like what do you think was the most challenging part of the book to sort of get together? Uh, afterlife, because, um, <clears throat> I had, I kept like scheduling interviews with people who were working on afterlife or who had worked on it. And then they would drop out one by one. Um, and that's probably because, uh, Sony wasn't back in the book. Uh, and so that was, uh, that was like very, uh, you know, and because in general they kept afterlife so, uh, hush hush. And so like, you know, because that's the culture we live in now mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, don't spoil the movie. Don't, you know, we want to keep everything in the wraps, you know, and they definitely want to keep, you know, <clears throat> control on everything. And it was, it was, and it's also difficult because, um, you don't have the benefit of even five years removed from afterlife to say like, how is it viewed culturally now? Right. You, you can only go with like, this is how it's performing and this is what it might lead to. There's no way to like, you know, you, you can't hold it against time or you can't see how it's aged. Uh, or how it's viewed in the canon, um, you know. <clears throat> so that you know that was that was very challenging, and it was like I would hear lots of uh, 
There were definitely, and what else, another, I guess this was also not just with Afterlife, but I guess across the board, it was like, uh, I would hear a lot of uh, off the record stuff. And it was like, you know, it was, it was like, um, obviously my job as a, uh, as a writer, as a journalist, as a researcher to get it, find a way to get it on the record. Um, but there was some stuff where it was like, this isn't just never gonna be on the record. Right. Uh, but I was surprised that, uh, certain things did, uh, like certain things I was surprised, like, oh, I actually kind of, you know, got a sort couple sources for that. No problem. Um, but it definitely like a lot of the, uh, <clears throat> God, even, you know, on background, you know, back channel stuff where it was like, man, if I, cause I didn't, you know, I, there, and listen, there were certainly times in the book where I say like, well, this is a rumor or like, right. you know, allegedly this, you know, for, you know, or like this, like presenting anecdotal evidence of stuff, you know, certainly like the, 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 like Slimer Statue of Liberty, Ghostbusters 2 ending mm-hmm. that ever, that people claim to have seen. The Mandala effect like, problem of like the Berenstain Bears Slimer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but it's like, you don't, you know, I didn't want there to be too much of that. And, um, but yeah, that was, that was difficult. And also, and sometimes there were instances where, uh, somebody, I'd, I'd find these key figures. He'd be like, it's like, uh, people who really had a lot of great, I knew had a lot of great information that are like, and going to answer some of my burning questions, whether or not they're important to the book or not Just as a fan, <laughs> right. as a fan, there were figures where it's like, they, they agreed. They would, they, I would have like an inter, like an exchange with them on email or um, text or whatever. And then they'd be like, well, I don't actually, I don't want to do the interview, but then that wouldn't be the end of it. Like then they talk to me for like 20 minutes and tell me all this stuff. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, what's happening? <laughs> you know, this is so bizarre. <clears throat> so, you know, stuff I, that was, that was, and like, I guess in general, um, <clears throat> I think it's always challenging figuring out how to conclude a book. I think that's always very difficult. Well, I think and that's so. probably true when you know you're concluding a book about a movie that just kind of came out. Because, like, I think about books in publishing cycles, right? Like, a book, uh, unless you're directly self-publishing, which, you know, your book is not. Your book is a, is a, is a published book that has been well-researched and that, you know, is backed by a publisher. You have a cycle, mm-hmm. right? You have a publishing cycle, which means that you have to get your book in, has to go through production, has to go through editorial, has to go through any of those things. And so that means, like, even with your with your book coming out like in november right is that when your book is that so like your book comes out in november which is a year out from the theatrical release of afterlife right but it's like your last opportunity to really talk about afterlife probably ends somewhere like six months prior to the release of the book at the best right yeah yeah it ended it ended in march and you know i yeah i turned the manuscript in in march i think or maybe the first week of april i don't remember, but it was definitely, and you know, that was like when Ivan Reitman passed, obviously that was very sad, yes. but that was also like, ah, oh, God damn, I gotta, I gotta, ah, oh, no, I, cause I'm thinking like I, before that I'm spending all my time thinking like, we're going to, this is, this is how I'm going to try to end the book. Right. This is what I'm going to do. And then it's like, oh my God. Okay. 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 Let's, let's, we got to sit yeah, down. Yeah. Fundamentally and, changes like a book about yeah. Ghostbusters. <laughs> it's, it's like a massive it, event, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, all right, I got to figure this out. So that was like, 
a little bit. And, uh, you know, I wasn't, and there was like, okay, so how does that affect things structurally? You know, cause I was thinking like, about this when I was like looking at your book and I was thinking about like who your sources were looking through it and like, can you hit this You sort of had it, said it. And I was kind of going to ask you about it, but you've kind of hit it already. Um, that it must've been a lot harder to cover afterlife because so many people probably have NDAs. Right. So it's like you can't talk to folks who are actively working on a movie. Whereas like if you're talking about Ghostbusters, you're talking about people who signed an NDA for maybe like 25, 30 years ago, you know, or 35 years yeah. ago. It's expired by now. And they're like, yeah, yeah I'm like going to be, you know, I'm in my 80s. And um, I, yeah, yeah. I tell you a story. <laughs> like, but, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and also it's like, but also a lot of those people, I think they wanted to, you know, I think what was more understandable was like a lot of people are like well you know i'm still friends with ivan sure. Reitman or i'm friends with jason Reitman and i don't you know i don't want to do anything which is like yeah i understand yeah that. for sure <clears throat> so um but yeah i was very fortunate to that so many people did agree to speak with me and some people the people i do speak with were very forthcoming most of the time so um Anybody in particular who you were really glad that you got to talk with? I mean, you said, you know, you said Sheldon Kahn was cool to talk with, but. Um. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Peter Giuliano, who's the first, uh, first AD on Ghostbusters one and two. Um, he was really, uh, you know, he was, he was very accommodating and very, uh, very thoughtful and very frank. Um, uh, Tom Enriquez was a you know, storyboard artist for the first two Ghostbusters. Um, he was, you know, the same deal and like very, a very funny guy too. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> that editor I spoke with on who worked on Ghostbusters 2016, Brent White. I, I, I hope that's his name. I think it's Brent <laughs> White. Uh, but he was, uh, yeah, again, like a super cool guy who went out of his way to make time and like, you know, and like I was very fortunate. This I feel it was cool to talk. I talked to uh, briefly, but I I interviewed several of the actresses who had auditioned to play Dana Barrett, like Melanie Mayron and um, you know, uh, um, like Ronnie Carroll mm -hmm. and Marette Marette Van Camp. Um, you know, and they were all you know they were uh, a lot of them were like, how did you even know that I did this? They're like, well, this is so good. Like and Melanie Mayron. <laughs> Melanie Mayron was like, you know, usually I do interviews about parts that I, that I got, not parts that I didn't get. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, you know, uh, so, and, oh, you know, Ann Carlisle who auditioned for Gozer, um, you know, lots of, yeah, I was, I was grateful to speak to everybody. I really only, you know, there was only like, no, it was, listen, it was all great. <laughs> um, I think that's fascinating because I, I think talking to people about how their interview process is cool, like how their uh, audition process goes is cool. Because um, me, it's like, you know, most of us will never, ever get to do that one. Uh, what's it like yeah. to go in there and have that experience? And then they did I mean, like, to be fair, like they put out the uh, that giant collectible set this year. They even included all those Gozer uh, auditions on the discs like you can go back yeah. and watch them. So um, that's kind of neat. But. Um, and in case you were wondering, cause I did look while you were talking, cause I want to resolve your anxiety about this. His name is Brent White. You got it right. Okay. Good. <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was, but I didn't want to, you know, cause this is the other thing that's like, there were a couple, there were a couple names in the book that were misspelled, unfortunately, that I didn't, that none of us caught in the, in the proofreading process that I felt so horrible about. And I had the, I emailed these people and I said, listen, 
God, I'm so lucky you talked to me and I feel awful. Please, <laughs> please let me send you the second edition of the book where your name is spelled correctly. They were luckily they were all very kind that's and very awesome. gracious about it. So yeah. Hey, <clears throat> that's what happens. And there'll be a second edition, which is good because you know, it means that there's going to be more of them. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. So. Um, I also wanted to ask you, did you get a chance to talk with John Melchior of from about Ghostbusters, the video game? I did. And I will say uh, that was one of the more challenging interviews to arrange. And it was like uh, every book I've worked on, there's always one person who's like, yeah, I'd love to talk to you. Uh, unfortunately, I'm never available. <laughs> so <laughs> it, John was that guy for this book. And it was just like chasing him down and down and down. And he would only... Um, like we texted, we texted quite a bit, but he was also like the social network of his, of his choosing uh, is LinkedIn, gotcha. which I, I'm never on. So that was just kind of, you know, I was like, all right, I got to be on LinkedIn to get a hold of this guy. And I, and I like, you know, it was, it was like, finally he uh, was like, all right, I'm sitting in traffic. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I know it's going to take me three hours. Let's do this. And he was so cool. He was so, uh. And he was very cool about like later when I would follow up to fact check stuff. And yeah, he was, and he, uh, and excuse me. Yeah. And also, um, uh, there had been a, he had done an interview with a, uh, a writer for playboy years before. And that writer, uh, Matt Paprocki, I think he, uh, he very graciously, uh, like sent me the raw interview that he had done with John as well. That's awesome. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, yeah, but John was super, uh, super cool and like again very frank and very like uh you know because i remember I, I asked him about uh you know the um their whole plan like to hire brian doyle murray as the mayor in the video game to get bill murray on which means they had to uh they had to release david margulies which I did not, I didn't realize that. Like I was listening, I was like, you know, I was listening to the audio version of your book when I got to that part and I was like, what? Yeah. I had no idea David Margulies was even ever signed on to that game. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, I was like, what was, <laughs> I was like, what was that like? Like, he's like, it sucked. It sucked. I didn't want to fire David Margulies. Like, it's, <laughs> it's like, you know, but what else could we do? Like there were no other roles left. Like somebody had to go to get Brian Doyle Murray. He's like, it was no fun at all. It's like, all right. Um, you know, so it is kind I, of funny. I, that was their plan. That was like, how do we get Brian? How do we get Bill Murray? Well, we'll just hire his brother and then that'll be our backdoor way to yeah. get him in. And then like, I love the part of the, and that's to be like, I don't want to like, you know, go let's go read the book. Like, but um, I like the description there where, you know, he sort of milk talks about this idea that, uh, he gets and it gets asked point blank by Brian Doyle Murray, like, "Am I here because of my brother?" <laughs> yeah. so I'm like, does that yeah. happen a lot to Brian Doyle <laughs> Murray? Like, he Probably. gets hired to jobs all the time just because they're hoping his brother will show up. Like, that's screwed Probably. up. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Bill Murray has obviously uh, made it his business to be difficult to deal with. So, <laughs> you, you know. we're all getting 800 numbers. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I found that section of your book also like really fascinating because I, I was a huge fan of like the 2009 game. Um, you know, I, I just like I I thought it was funny, honestly, the section where it talks about he talks about uh, how if you can't blow up everything with the proton pack, 
then like the game isn't worth like it's not Ghostbusters. And I hilariously yeah. say this because like I'm playing a ton of Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed, which I love um, and it's mm. a great game. But one of the fundamental things is you can't blow up everything. You can only blow up mm. some of the things. I'm like, why? <laughs> like, what is it that these objects are imbued with that makes them resist the Neutrona wand? Um, yeah. But yeah, no, there's so much fascinating stuff in that section to the book of like just um, of the, the way that whole deal came together and I, I the, one of the most fascinating parts of me was them talking about how he basically had to go get Bill Murray and was given the green light of as many plane tickets as it took. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he was definitely like, uh, you know, the they didn't believe that it would happen. And they're like, this isn't this. You know, you're never going to get Bill Murray to do a video game. This is going to be like a bargain <laughs> game. It's, it's never going to happen. <clears throat> and he proved them wrong. So Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's a project that ends up surviving, like, the death of a studio, right? I mean, it's just, like, yeah. and it, I wanted to, still to this day, like, I know he's got it somewhere. We need that parade level, man. I want to see it. I, like, I don't know if he talked to you about it at all, but that canceled parade level. Oh, God, it's this day. I yeah. still want to see it. You know, a little bit. He also discussed that there was like a they wanted to do like a, a a driving level where you drive the Actimobile, yeah. but he he was like it was too difficult to to figure out or it took too much space or something. I don't um I don't remember exactly, but he's like we had to scrap it uh, for the good of the game. <clears throat> so yeah, uh, um, yeah, the video game thing is super fascinating, and a lot of fans you know really look at the video game as as canon yeah Ghostbusters 3 so yeah I mean I mean not to be morbid about it but it kind of is like Harold Ramis's last performance as Egon Smegler you know I mean like that's that's it so um but that's a real I mean I have to say if you're a fan of that video game um there's a lot of interesting content um in James's book uh that you should definitely take a look at because I thought that like again I thought I knew everything I was to know about that and then I went oh no there's new things in here that I learned (laughs) What do you know? Reading helps you get more informed about stuff you think you know about already. Um, I guess I wanted to ask you um, if you had like if there's something you you could have covered in the book that you didn't get a chance to right? like because of timeline afterlife comes like obviously you cover more afterlife's like cultural, um, you know, uh, sort of reception. Is there anything that you wish you could have spent more time like? carving out or delving into deeper like in particular like, i know this is a lot of different little facts but like is there anything where you're like i really wish i could have gone into this like with 25 more pages <laughs> like <laughs> uh well i mean there are bits and pieces of stuff that like um uh i mean yeah like i guess um i just wish i had more access to people who worked on the afterlife i wish i could have asked ask them direct questions more point you know because there was a lot of you know the the, just based on the stuff that i read the interviews that i read with everybody and like the the aesthetic they were going for and like everything you hear about the production like you know i just had stuff i wanted to kind of ask them or uh you know kind of get get more explanation on um but like to me it's like i really wanted to know more like about uh, to me, like the uh, the alternate casting is uh, like really fascinated me. Like I was really wanting to learn. It's uh, you know I had heard that um, 
Clarence Williams III auditioned for a role in Ghostbusters, and that you know the actor Stephen Tash, who plays the student, yeah, uh, and saw him in the audition room, and it was like, oh my god, that's so cool. And I tried reaching out to Clarence Williams III's family. I didn't realize that nobody realized that he was very ill and he he passed, you know. And uh, it was there was stuff like that. Like I want I tried to contact Gregory Hines's family to to see if there was anything, you know. I contacted the family of um, the original first AD on Ghostbusters, who Peter Giuliano replaced, whose name is escaping me. A very famous first AD worked on a lot of famous productions, and and. Peter Giuliano explained to me like he thinks that like it didn't work out because that first 80 had never really shot in New York city before. Mm -hmm. But I was curious, like, you know, what, what, you know, is there another, you know, what maybe else is known about this? Um, you know, uh, I feel bad that I didn't, I mean, there's certain stuff. I mean, well, I don't know. I feel like some, I feel like sometimes I feel like I got, I did everything I could, you know, I did the best to my ability and there's just little stuff like that. I wish I had covered. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I, I would ask me that again in like five years. <laughs> Cause I, I look back at the other two books I've written and yeah. I feel like, Oh, I, I do this totally different or this way. I do this now, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's tough right now. Cause I, I did it to the best of my ability and um, I was given leeway to do it how I wanted. So, um, you know, I don't know. Well, I think that's fine. Like, you know, I think that, I think that's a fair answer. Cause it's like, um, <clears throat> you know, you come off a project and you have to sort of see how you feel about it, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and I think that's funny that you sort of said like looking back at my other books. Yeah, totally. This one, not, not there yet, <laughs> but, um, yeah. well, I guess that's the, I guess, um, a good question to sort of wrap up on here. Um, will you do another Ghostbusters book? Do you think you would you want to do another one, um, or is this? Are you like I've had enough? <laughs> um, I think that there will be a special edition of this book, probably. Yeah. Once after more Ghostbusters films have been made, it's uh, it's actually uh in my contract, I believe. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe if uh. If somebody, I think the only way I would do like a separate Ghostbusters book. This almost happened with the Misfits book. I had a member, uh, a member of the Misfits, uh, contacting me to to ghostwrite or co-write. I don't remember which they wanted to do their their memoirs or their gotcha. autobiography. That it didn't didn't pan out. But like if something like that happened, if someone connected with Ghostbusters reads this book and says, "I want to pick this guy to do my thing." Um, but I, I like, so certainly we'll update this book, but I can't think of another, uh, you know, I couldn't think of another angle for a, a different kind of Ghostbusters book that I'd want to do. So that's fair. Um, yeah, no, I just, I wondered if like you would, if there's something where you would want to do another like update to it, another edition that sort of like added on, you know, this, yeah, know, I mean, films, you know, that kind yeah, of we'll see. I mean, I guess it also depends on how, uh, how well it sells, you know, because uh, there's, there, I should you know, it's high time that I revised my first book. Um, and it still sells pretty well, but I don't know if the publisher is like, they're still at a point where they're like, well, you'd have to pitch that to us. Like you'd have to sell us on doing that. Uh, so, but if the Ghostbusters book is, uh, immensely popular sales wise, I think it'll just kind of like 
naturally happen. Right. <laughs> naturally. <laughs> or supernaturally uh, as it, as it may oh, be. Cause it's a yes. ghostbusters book. Yeah, that's, True. that's right. I'm going to somebody get the hook, drag me off the stage, take the mic away. Uh, Cause I'm bad punning. Um, well, just one thing I should ask, like where, where is, where can people get the book? I mean, obviously bookstores, um, anywhere in particular that you would recommend they grab it or, um, they grab the audiobook. I would recommend buying the book from, uh, Roman.com, R-O-W-M-A-N.com. That is the publisher. If you buy it directly from them, I make the most money. <laughs> However, I understand that you may live in a place where it's more convenient to, uh, purchase it from uh, the Jeff Bezos website. I do not uh, chagrin <laughs> you for that. That's the way life is. Um, uh, the audiobook is on, uh, I believe it's on Google Play and Apple, whatever the Apple thing is. <laughs> uh, um, <clears throat> so if you just, if you Google the title of the book and audiobook, it'll come I will up. also say, because I know that's where I got my copy of it, was that you can get it at Barnes & Noble. Uh, on their oh, okay. audio platform so you can either buy the book or if you are a member or you sign up for a membership um for like 30 days you can buy the book with one credit um which is a thing to know you can do so um but yeah so uh go and get the book in some form or another because you're listening to this podcast and if you've listened to like six episodes of this that's like at least like probably 12 hours of your life and that's how long it'll take you to listen to james's book <laughs> So, but, you know, go buy it from Roman too, and, um, to buy it in both formats and use them together. <laughs> I will also say though, um, I understand times are tough and if you just want to check it out of the library, that would be awesome too, because that would be supporting libraries. Um, I also did this cause I will tell you point blank. I did it. I recommended that my library buy your book. <laughs> just another thing you could do is tell your library to buy James's yeah. book. Yeah. And I'll, just off the top of my head, I think the li- public libraries that have it right now are Denver Public Library, Cleveland Public Library. Um, <laughs> I, I really thought I was going to rattle off the whole list there. It would have been awesome. Uh, You're like, this is the ISBN number. This is also the Library yeah, of Congress no. catalog number. Um, no, you can check uh, the WorldCat search engine. <laughs> it'll tell you where it all is. I really thought I was going to rattle through those, but I, I can't. Um Anything else you want to plug or tell us about or anything else on the horizon to keep out, keep watch out for? Uh, I guess not. <laughs> you, know, <I'll>, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I have a, I have a, a blog at a jgtwo.com, jg2.com and people can check that out. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll have another book out. Uh, guess what? That book I was working on about Guns N' Roses, uh, I'm doing that again. That'll be out in 2025, I think. That's awesome. So, um, so. Does it have an appetite for destruction pun in the title? No, because it's about uh, Chinese democracy. Gotcha. So it, it'll be uh, the history of that awesome. ridiculous album. No, that's so awesome. Not, I'm excited. Uh, I, I'm going to check that out for real. Uh, um, thank you. One of, my, um, one of my best friends in life is... Um, a music journalist and entertainment journalist whose long-term life except obsession is that she's like the biggest Guns N' Roses fan on the planet. Um, and so I'm going to tell her your book is coming out. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on, on the pod and uh, sharing. And I hope people go out and check out your book again. It is called uh, A Convenient Parallel Dimension. 
and uh, you can get it on Roman and Littlefield Publishing or uh, wherever great books are sold, but especially at Roman.com. Uh, and uh, thanks again, James, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Anytime. That about wraps things up for Extra Plasma this week. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to James Green Jr. for coming on the podcast and providing an interview and letting us know a little bit more about his book. Remember, you can find it out there wherever books are sold, and you can also download the audiobook on Google Play, on Apple Music, or, of course, as we talked about, from barnesandnoble.com as part of their subscription service, or you can just buy it from them. Uh, and don't forget that if you want to reach out to the podcast at all because you have something to share or something to comment, you can find us at Extraplasm on Twitter, Extraplasm on Instagram, or via extraplasmpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for all your positive and kind reviews. And as Ernie Hudson would say, try to have fun and always keep on busting. Take care. <laughs>